Um, my dog just busted into the room, so I'm going to take her out and close the door, <laughs> and then I'll be right back. Show us the pub. Show us the pub. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to Culture Calendar. Today, once again, is a bit of an untraditional episode for us because we have a guest, Ernest Patty, here with us, who is big on TikTok as Hot Dog Cart. We'll obviously link to all of his socials in the show notes, but we're just going to be asking him a few questions about why he started his social media, the messages that he's really trying to put out there and everything in between. So welcome, Ernest. Do you want to give yourself a little bit of an introduction to those who might not know you? Uh, yeah. Hi. Thank you guys for uh, for having me. Of course. I'm a C6 uh, quadriplegic. Been sort of hurt for a little over two and a half years now. I'm a sophomore in college at the University of Miami. Go Canes. And uh, yeah, like, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. We're really excited. So I think we can start from the basics. We're just curious what, if anything, inspired you to first make your TikTok account and start talking about moving through the world with a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, I think like I noticed when TikTok was taking off, it was sort of like during COVID, like all my friends were on the app, you know, like stuck inside. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not getting it. I was like, I don't need another social media app. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. And when I got hurt, I was, you know, inside a lot. And I think it was just 2022 when I got it, when I got the app. And I pretty much just, you know, hit up my friends one day and I was like, hey, like I'm making a TikTok account. Like, what should my my username be? Mm. Because I was like, I need a funny one, you know, guy in a wheelchair. I want to make jokes you know mm-hmm. and they're like oh there's a girl on the app her name is taco truck and i mirrored my username off of hers and the first video i posted was with uh one of my sisters it just got it got like 2000 views like nothing like nothing like crazy it wasn't until my second video that i posted when i was just like hey guys like my name's already i'm in a wheelchair been paralyzed for you know however long i said in the video and you know like i'm just gonna be posting like fun stuff come along Mm -hmm. and then like i went to bed and then woke up and the video had like three hundred and fifty thousand views and i was like oh my god (laughs) and then just from there i was like okay like i'll just make more jokes i'll just post like whatever i want to post and that's how it started how did that feel it was honestly like weird because like i always had like a private profile and when i made the tiktok account i made it public but i was like i didn't really understand like how far videos could go Mm -hmm. and then like my instagram dms were like hey i'm in texas and i have a spinal cord injury or like oh my dad got hurt in you know like the caribbean and like we're Mm -hmm. living in maine now you know like stuff like that like even people from like australia and europe have been like Mm -hmm. no like i'm going through the same thing like you know Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of crazy it it was just like surreal yeah and yeah just had like no intention of being like oh i'm gonna do this and be famous i was just like it just yeah it just sort of happened and i was like this is really weird did you feel any pressure around that of like people reaching out to you and like seeing your videos go so far did that honestly i was a little embarrassed when people from home were like hey i saw you on my for you page (laughs) yeah no you didn't (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm like who what yeah but it was it was honestly just kind of like random you know because it's just like people from all over reaching out and i'm like i didn't realize like how many people like 
either connected or were affected by like the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was just like pretty cool. Just like spreading, you know, a little awareness about disabilities and spinal cord injuries and, you know, just thought it was cool. Yeah. No, that's actually an interesting point that you're making too, even of not realizing how many people are affected by this. Because I think injuries and especially acquired disabilities are a kind of identity that is uniquely not based in the community that you're born into. It's unlike your religion or your nationality. It's something that might be a little more isolated within your family unit or your town or wherever. And so it's cool to think that you were able to, yeah, connect with a bunch of people and realize, oh, this is actually a thing that like a lot of people are going through, but it's just harder for me to see that in my immediate circle. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, okay, so you start your TikTok, you're connecting with people. You mentioned, you know, wanting to spread a bit more awareness about disability. What do you mean by that? Like, what what kind of messages are you trying to amplify or do you have, like, certain things that you really want to get out there? How do you kind of approach it? Well, I would say this is that I've only been disabled for two and a half, a little over two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And I don't know a whole lot about the larger community. I'm not heavy involved in like everything that's going on, like whether it's like laws or trying to get, you know, stuff built or trying to just get like any equal right, you know, in that sense, like I'm not super involved in that. And I want to make disability is normal in the sense that mm-hmm. we're still humans like it ha- like something either whether it's a spinal cord injury you're born with it stroke you're still like you can still live a life yeah. and yes it's gonna have its challenges like you know it's not gonna be perfect it's really tough but you know i just want to highlight that like yeah i'm in a wheelchair but oh look i go to school go out to you know some concerts i sort of live on my own you know so it's like i just want to show people that there's more to life than just like sitting around like i was for a year and a half before i started school I think it's also like a great point that social justice issues are such big conversations that there's almost like a barrier to entry sometimes of talking about things and you saying like, okay, you know, I might not be an expert on disability rights or accessibility or whatever, but this is my life. Like you're, you're, you can just be talking about your life or have your own opinions and that it it doesn't always have to be pushing an, or or an, an assumption that you're going to know everything about an issue because you occupy a certain identity Mm -hmm. so i think it's really cool that you're kind of you know just talking about your life and and learning alongside people or not even necessarily making it the crux of everything you talk about i think that's a really cool approach yeah and i was also going to say that i think you mentioned as well just kind of being funny on the internet and I'm curious if you can also touch on like what the response from your TikTok audience and followers has been. I feel like people really, from what I've seen in the comment section, it feels like people really resonate with that. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think people connect with me because I'm young. I'm trying to like bring people together. So I try to I try to invite that community and openness in my comments. Sometimes I'll put stuff on my like Instagram story and you know sort of get like feedback from some people. And mm. it's cool because I've met a ton of really nice like genuine people on the internet. Like I have a group chat with a couple people that are in wheelchairs and they're like great resources for me to be like, hey like this adaptation for this daily activity like what do you guys think like what do you do can i see you know if you use equipment or whatnot like you know how do you do that and even like i'll put up a video sometimes and i'll be like hey like sorry like i haven't been posting in a while like school got busy like whatever and 
people are like super supportive and they're like, oh, like, you know, glad to see you back. So it's like really nice just to have created and invited open-minded people that, you know. Yeah. Wow, it sounds like you have a really positive environment online. That's so nice. I mean, there's times where I get the comments that like I still remember, you know, not like hate comments, but like, you know, I try not to think about it too much because it's like, you know, like I see the comments and sometimes like I laugh, like they're really funny. <laughs> I'll like like it or something or like I'll comment and be like, this wasn't funny when it was like super hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> like, I see, you know, like I see some some of the comments and I'm like, man, that hurt. But like someone, you know, says something and makes a wheelchair joke. Like that says a lot about them as a person. Yeah. Whereas like I like if I don't respond to that, like I don't give it any thought, then it's just energy. Like, All right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I Speaking of your group chat, I'm curious, did Taco Truck ever like reach out to you or did you connect with her? So we follow each other. Yeah. But a while ago, she, uh, she met, like I made one video and she commented and then followed me. And then I sent it to my, my group chat of friends that gave me the username. And I was like, I did it. And they, were like, <laughs> and they, were all, they were all like sick. And I was like, oh, great. Thanks, guys. But um, no, like, so she's super cool. And I was like, oh, like. My friends gave me my username and like, you know, like tried to get you to, you know, see me when I, and she was like, ah, I love that. And, and like, that was pretty much it. So you also mentioned like one of the messages you try to amplify with your TikTok is that disabled people are normal. You're going to school, you're doing this, you're doing that. And I think one of the things we've been wondering, because like we've been out of school for a few years now is if you could talk about what school has been like with having a wheelchair and like what maybe the school is doing well or what maybe they're not doing so well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I literally started uh, like pretty much to the day a year after I got hurt. I just started taking two classes. And when I started, my first class was at 9 a.m. And I got into class and I'm in my wheelchair and... There's no sort of area for me to like pull up to a desk and you can imagine everyone sitting in the rows and then there's me off facing the class and then looking at the teacher at the same time. Like Mm. it was awkward as hell. You know, the (laughs) disability services, they're like, oh, we're going to provide you with a note taker and a this and a that. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, but this person doesn't know how I learn. So I'm getting these notes you know, sometimes they just, they don't even take notes from the class. They just read it off the slide. And so it was really kind of, it was kind of hard. And so, you know, I did my best. I got by the first semester. And then second, my second semester, the apartment that we were living in wasn't very accessible. And we ultimately were like, hey, like University of Miami, what kind of accessible housing do you have? Mm -hmm. And they were like, Mm -hmm. oh, we would, we would love for you to check it out. And we go to tour it and they're like showing us the dorm, telling us blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, oh, it has an automatic door opener. And I'm like, oh, sweet. Like, this is cool. And we get to the dorm and it was like the dorm had been built in like the 1800s. Like it was old. (laughs) And the door opener, he like clicked it, didn't work. Oh, no. And then he like had to like mess around with it. And then it finally opened and it took like 30 seconds for the door to open. <laughs> and so I go to roll into the, the room and the door was just big enough for my manual wheelchair to squeeze through. I was hoping that wasn't what you were going to say. I was like, I swear to God, if it's like this door is like, 
and then you can't even go through. Exactly. So it was it was a tight fit to get in. And then the actual room itself was it was a really big room. You know, it was like standard, typical, you know, college dorm. But then the bathroom, that door was pretty much the same size as the, the entry mm-hmm. and was super tight. And like literally probably had like two, three feet of like wiggle room to even like move around. Like I couldn't spin around in my wheelchair. And so wow. I'm, you know, touring it in, in the back of my head. I'm like, I can't live here. This would not work. Even if I had help, like it would be so bad. And this is the accessible housing. So this is the accessible <laughs> housing. And the you know like shower everything was old it was like all like from the 60s like it was not not good Mm -hmm. and so the people that we were with they were like oh like could you see yourself living here and I was like oh yeah like for sure you know (laughs) where do I sign and we get back in my van and my dad was like oh like so what'd you think and I go I can't live there like I literally can't like it's gonna be so bad and so we reported back we said to the school, we were like, hey, look, that dorm was awful. Somebody in a wheelchair cannot live in there. I'm so curious if anyone in a wheelchair does, if that's the supposed accessible housing. Like, is anyone in a wheelchair actually using it? Oh, I'm getting that. I'm getting that. Oh, God. <laughs> so, so, You're like, funnily um, enough, no one has ever taken us up on this. Yeah. <laughs> so we emailed the school and they had just opened up like this new apartment style living dorm. And I was like, there has to be accessible units in that, in that building. So we were, we, we were like, oh, like, what about, you know, like the Lakeside Village? Like, do you guys have units in there? Like, you know, cause these won't work. And they were like, oh, well, those are only for sophomores and upperclassmen. And we were like, why? Yeah. You want to say that? You, they were like, you want to say that one more time? <laughs> so we emailed them back and they were like, no, you have to be a sophomore. Like, you can't live in there. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to fly. Like, we should still have that right to look. Like, there's no way you can just force somebody to live in the... And I have pictures and videos of this bathroom and everything. Like, you'd be like, how? Yeah. So we, you know, reach out to the school. And one of the deans was like, that is not right. Come tour it. Like, whatever. And then, you know, the school was like, we're so happy you wanted to come tour Lakeside, you know? I was like, okay, so that is where I live now. But the school, once I moved in, they were like, hey, like, did you know that you're the first person with a mobility disability to live in this building? I was like, yeah, no shit, because all the other freshmen are in the old one. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, so I was like, yeah, like, of course I am. Like, I like you. As if it's a badge of honor. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sounds like they're giving themselves a gold star. Yeah. They were like, look at us being so inclusive. Yeah, <laughs> and I met through a, at a, like a fundraiser or something. I met another student who was in a wheelchair, and he was telling me all about like his experience. And he was like, "Yeah, I lived in that old dorm for a semester or a year. I forget how long he said." And he was like, "It was the worst time of my life." He was like, "It didn't work," <sighs> and he's like, "We had so many problems, and you know, just it was just really bad." And I was like, "That is so awful," but. They're doing a, they're doing a really good job now, and every time I notice something, I just you know I snap a photo, I shoot mm-hmm. a quick email, and you know then they're like okay like we'll figure it out, and even at the end of last semester and before this semester, 
I like fully sat down with the woman who runs the Office of Disabilities at the U and basically was like, look, these classes, like I need to have somewhere where I can like pull up under a table, Mm -hmm. take my notes, Mm -hmm. but like, I'm going to show you what works for me. And I was like, Mm -hmm. look, this classroom works, this classroom doesn't. This style, you know, that. And what's really cool is I am now, I'm DJing at the student radio station. Oh, shit. That building is really old. And I was like, hey, look, like, I need to be able to get in and out. What can you do? And they were like, we'll throw some door openers in there. And so now, like, I have a little clicker and, you know, I just press a button, doors open, boom, I'm in. And I just do my thing. But yeah, they're they're really they're looking to be better at including the uh, the disabilities there. So yeah, it's amazing that they're so not amazing. Like obviously they should be, but it's cool that as a university they're being so receptive because I feel like getting a university to pay for anything is always so difficult, mm-hmm. and it feels like okay, well if it was this easy, then why weren't you doing it? They're, yeah, they're still working on it. Like I I asked in September for a better like a relocation of like the ID swipe because like I had to scan my ID next to the door and then turn around and go hit the mm-hmm. button and the doors would open like out so I would literally get like stuck oh, I was shit. like I was like hey look like this doesn't work and then they they were and they told me they're like hey facilities is working on this it should be done by beginning of the next semester and I was like oh great but like you know I might not have a class in that building anymore mm-hmm. but I was like still you know great that they're gonna be located because like it's kind of stupid and then they took me on a walk over there to check it out and nothing had happened oh no guys working on it or anything and I was like, oh, come on. Like, this looks bad for you guys. What did they think they were showing you? They were like, look at this change. And They were like, look at it. They were like, yeah. <laughs> and like, like, you round the corner and they're like hyping it up. You turn and you're like, biggest letdown ever. Oh, my God. I don't like to criticize because they actively have helped me like so much with yeah. getting back into school, the housing, you know. They're mm-hmm. actually trying. It's awesome to see that they're so you know willing to help because it's like it's 2023 like you know there shouldn't be a gigantic step you know to get into a classroom you know yeah and like the first step is receptiveness I mean obviously we can all hope for at the more federal policy level that these things are taken into account and sort of that there are just like better standards that universities are held to because I think it's it is hard if they're left to their own devices and not fully informed to know how can we best accommodate our students, which is why, yeah, obviously public policy would help. But it is, to your point, nice that they're receptive because I was actually thinking about this woman, Judy Human, because she died recently. She died on March 7th. And she I know that when she first wanted to go to school in a wheelchair, she was told no because she was a fire hazard. So she oh couldn't God. go to school. People for... aren't fire hazards. I know. No, I know. But yeah, and she, I mean, has done a lot more advocacy than just getting wheelchair users into schools and things like that. But the point being, like, it is important to not just call out, of course, where the gaps are, but also how far we've come and how hard these disability activists who have come before us mm-hmm. have brought us and, and all the work that they've done. So yeah, I appreciate you also like celebrating the little wins, even if sometimes you're like, well, by the time you finish that project, I won't even be a student here. But like, thank you. <laughs> At least you're doing yeah. it. Yeah. No, but it's interesting to hear too, because I feel like as myself, as someone who's not in a wheelchair, there are certain things that I that would sound like 
oh, that's accessibility in my head. And I I wouldn't even think about the button being in a more convenient place because I wouldn't it, it wouldn't even be a thought in my head because I, exactly. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know. And so I'm curious to hear more about stuff like that that you've encountered of like you interact with something that's meant to be helpful. And you're like, oh, actually, I wonder if this was even thought about. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It, it It's not to be honest, I haven't noticed like other than that door, like I haven't noticed a whole lot getting in my way. But with old buildings, it's very hard to just be like, hey, this change needs to happen like instantly. Mm, yeah. And I'm not I'm not the person to be like, no, this needs to happen right now. Like, mm-hmm. right. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not that kind of person. But I'm, I point it out. And then I'll keep bringing it up. And so it, it happens where like, they have a door opener, but instead of a tap access, like, you know, you put your ID there and like, it just beeps and then you can hit the, the door opener. There's a swipe. Mm-hmm. And me with someone who has limited hand function, I can't, you know, grab my ID, hold it in the thing and, and drag it up and down to then mm-hmm. unlock the door and hit the button. So it's like things like that, where it's like, good for them for putting a button there. Yeah. But like, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's there's yeah they don't think about someone that has like limited hand function or or even no hand function at all and you know it's just they are trying like they you know they show it but then you know like there's some things that just yeah and to your point too about old buildings i get that it's of course harder when things were built at a time that even general like safety codes and parking spots and how far you are from the street all of that was so different but it is surprising even now that codes and regulations don't maybe accommodate accessibility as much as they should. Even my mom recently was renovating a house and she basically wanted to make sure that every doorway in her house was wide enough for wheelchair because she wants to, in her words, age in place. And she's like, I have no idea what kind of mobility I might lose over the next 20 years. So I just want to make sure my house is equipped, Mm -hmm. which I thought was, of course, cool that she thought about that proactively. But I was also surprised that even now, today, building codes, I was like, oh, I'm surprised that when you build a house now, that's just not a code you have to meet anyway. It's just a few more inches wider for a doorway. We could all just be doing that because we could all lose mobility at any moment. It just, it's, it's even now it's interesting to see that so much has changed and not a lot has changed. And it would benefit everybody. Like if you're trying to move out of an apartment or something, like you have New York City walk-ups, you have this, that, and it just makes it easier if you think about it before rather than after. Yeah. That's actually another question that we had. So since your injury, you've lived at school and at home? Yeah. So we weren't really sure how we were going to, do it because one we had hopes that I would just get up and walk out of the wheelchair you know like that's Mm. you know a thought that everybody has when someone goes through through that and so we weren't really planning long super long term you know because you don't know what's going to happen so when I first moved in to campus yes we were still renting an apartment because I'm not fully independent Mm -hmm. and you know my parents would come down like you know, and help me out, do bulk of the care when my caretakers can't Mm -hmm. be there. We were kind of going back and forth. But now that we've just moved into an apartment, my that's like actually ours, I'm sort of going to go through the transition of, okay, I'm getting out of the dorm life. I'm now 21, going to be 22 in 
I mean, a lot of months, but <laughs> eventually it'll happen. Eventually, yeah, eventually it'll happen one day. And I sort of just like want my own place, you know, and this is the spot that I will eventually take over. Then from there, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, because when it comes to, I don't know, I mean, you were mentioning it, so maybe it's similar in Miami, but in New York, there's a huge price difference between buildings with elevators and buildings that don't have elevators. Mm-hmm. Also, New York is not very spacious so we we live a very vertical life you know we our yeah. storage and stuff is higher up like you want to maximize every area of your apartment and I was thinking you know in advance of speaking to you I was like oh something happened to me today I live in a walk-up I wouldn't be able to get into my apartment and I wouldn't be able to grab stuff that I have stored higher up and it becomes extremely like cost prohibitive to find places that work for you and so I was curious how how Miami maybe compares, but also in general, like what have been kind of the most, you know, expensive things to look for or implement in your house structurally? So I will say that Florida is a very flat state and Miami mm-hmm. is also a very flat city. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in certain places, sidewalks are literally sideways and, you know, there's not, you know, there's curb cuts that are either in like the wrong spot or just not even existent. And then when we moved, I was not very involved in this process. I was, you know, in like the middle of the semester and Mm -hmm. my parents were handling that, but they do a very, you know, we would measure my wheelchair. We would measure the doorways and make sure that if I went into a room, I'd be able to turn around and, you know, be able to get back out. And I don't have like, like automatic door openers. Like I can manage with not like the door knob, but like the door handle like Mm -hmm. that I can open. And then, you know, we would have to look for roll-in showers rather than tub showers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just adding like magnetic door holders so that, you know, when I open a door, it stays open and not closed right behind me and stuff like that. Wow. But, you know, like eventually, like I'm going to turn my room into the nest type deal and just be like, hey, close the shade. It's helpful because technology now is getting more advanced to where even you guys would benefit from, you know, voice and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm very lucky that my wheelchair actually can elevate in height. And so that like, if I need to grab something off the top shelf, or if I go out and I want to sit at the bar, I can raise up to the height of a normal bar. And again, that's also something that's not covered by insurance. And we were able to with the help of the rehab team. But yeah, we just moved in, so we're still trying to like figure it out. Totally. But uh, but yeah, we're we're gonna make it sort of like a, a nice, accessible hub. But we're gonna try to make it. I don't want to say the word normal, but for the sake of conversation, I'm gonna use the word normal. You know, I don't uh, I don't really use any like medical equipment anymore, mm-hmm. like you know, to get in out of bed because I've learned how to do it myself. But you know, I just want it to look like cool. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. I follow this blind influencer on YouTube, Molly Burke. And she recently just renovated a condo for herself. And she talked about making, I mean, it's really beautiful. You should all check it out on YouTube. It's the coolest condo ever. But it's like the most stunning textured tiles and these different LED lights like piped around the baseboard in the kitchen and all of this special local wood and the shelving. And it's really, really well done. But I think similar to you, she wanted an apartment that is still really aesthetic. It's still really beautiful. It still feels like it's something that everyone would want. She could resell it and like recoup money that she invested in the renovation. It's what the word accessibility means. She wanted everyone to see that space and think I could live there. 
Yeah, exactly. and just like yeah, suit no. your style. Like you want it to be your vibe and yeah. have just as many options with that. It's because yeah, like we go through, you know, so much and then it's like it's sort of like a like an internal thing that we have. It's like you'll see a lot of medical equipment. You see a big wheelchair and people sort of get like, "Whoa," like, mm-hmm. you know, people want to tread lightly, but it's like, you know, like we want a space that doesn't look scary for you know, everyday person to, you know, look at and you know, we would just want it to look like you're like fun like yeah i'm in a wheelchair but like yo like this is my bachelor pad i'll hang out yeah but it's uh yeah it's really cool i was gonna ask if if you've run into anything as uh renting an apartment that like your landlord doesn't let you do or are there any things that you run into i don't i don't really know it's the thing is is that when we you're like i don't ask i just (laughs) i mean like I hate to say it, but like, yeah, I, I run into walls like a lot. Like, I don't sometimes pay attention. So, like, I'll literally like scuff up an entire wall. Like, my dorm has like black marks like all mm-hmm. over it, you know. <laughs> but um, when we were renting, we tried our best to not adapt the space, but adapt the way we operated. We mm-hmm. we made me work the space if that makes any sense Mm. we worked around like my bathroom my my bedroom my living room whatever so that i could get around not and not have to ask the landlord 100 times hey do you mind if we take the shower doors off the thing we didn't do that but you know we still uh we would modify it a little bit but also added other things like a like a little buddy ramp or you know mm-hmm. just in spaces that weren't accessible to make it just a little bit more accessible i'm also just going back to your wheelchair being able to raise which is so cool and i had never realized certain wheelchairs were able to do that just like being out at bars and even sort of like we were talking about some of the differences between miami and new york i'm curious what if you're going from point a to point b like you're at home in your apartment and now you're going out like you went to hannah burner with your girlfriend or if you're going out to a bar with your friends like what is getting from point a to point b like in miami because i know in new york the subway system is pretty inaccessible i think less than 20 percent of subway stations are accessible and the ones that are some of the existing elevators are like very poorly maintained and there is like CIDNY has a few active lawsuits working on that and like getting us more up to speed, which is great. But I'm sort of just curious what public transport or just moving from, you know, your house to the bar, your house to a show looks like. Yeah. So I like to plan early in the week. Like if I'm going to go out and like, yes, I, I know like have plans happen like really quickly sometimes, but I'm always mm-hmm. like, let's plan on doing this, blah, blah, blah. And then so I have to think about, okay, like if I get up at nine rather than, than 11, like I have two extra hours to do this, do that, mm-hmm. whatever. So that's sort of like how I run. Like I pretty much try to plan, like if I'm going to do plans on the weekend, like I try to think about it like Wednesday rather than like Friday at five, you know, because mm-hmm. it's a lot, there's a lot more work to be done for me rather than like when I was able-bodied, you know, I could just come home from work, school, whatever, and just like throw on a t-shirt and go out. Mm-hmm. So now it's, you know, it's hard for me to like, I can't get in Ubers, you know, like I, that part is harder for me to just transfer into a regular car. I have to, you know, have somebody drive me or when I get my license and hand controls and whatnot drive myself which would make things a lot easier but it you know takes a takes a lot more planning and then you know like when I get to the restaurant or whatnot it's like okay I have to make sure that they either have 
an accessible entrance or I have somebody with me to just help me out. Like if there's a, if there's a lip or there's a step, like, you know, just someone to like pop me back over it and then I can mm-hmm. you know, get through. And then it's like another thing like, okay, tables, like, yeah, I got to move the chair. Sometimes like tables are low enough to where like my knees hit and I can't get that close to the table. So it's things like that. It's just right. incon- there's like inconveniences. And so there's a whole lot of planning that goes on for even like like a dinner date or something like that. It's always like yesterday, like I made a reservation at Swan to go out tonight. And I put, I'm in a wheel, like somebody in my party is in a wheelchair. And I've been there before and I know it, but I always just like to make sure that places know someone is coming, you know. Then it's, you know, you're not running into things and blah, blah, blah. So, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but no, like Miami is actually like, it's getting there in the accessibility sense. Like I'm not scared to go out all the time. Like I've been to places and, you know, I just sort of keep like a mental checklist of like, okay, this is a great spot, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I'm curious if also you run into any things sort of like that with, traveling outside of Miami too. Like I know my sister is a type one diabetic. And so when we get to the airport, it seems like oftentimes gate agents or TSA agents might not have received sufficient enough training from their airline or from their agency. And my sister, for example, has like a medical alert bracelet and a doctor's note. And still sometimes just with, I I don't want to blame any individual, but with the lack of training, some agents insists that her equipment has to go through that conveyor belt x-ray machine and it's like life-sustaining medical equipment she needs that or she it very literally is like imminent death and I'm sure obviously the treatment of insulin pumps is so different than all mobility aids but I'm curious if you just ever run into when traveling outside Miami or going on an airline if you also see different kinds of lack of training or mishandled equipment or things like that. So I had a lot of prep and it's also like, too, it's just that the disabled community, even though like, like the U S you know, we're, we have all these guidelines and stuff like that, the disabled community, there's not enough people that they see. They don't see it Mm. often. Mm. And all this equipment is highly expensive. So people don't even want to fly. Because sometimes the training is not is not there. I don't want to put it all on the the airlines and the gate agents and stuff like that because they they try they they do great work and it's just it's just on the system really. Yeah, totally. When I when I have flown, I stick to one airline. I don't really like to mix it up because I haven't had a serious problem. Mm. I am notifying them a month before we fly. And then a couple weeks before we fly. And then like that entire week up until I get dropped off at the airport, I have communicated to them like, hey, I am showing up in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. I need an aisle chair. I need this, that, the other thing. And then, you know, when I'm going through TSA, you see a lot of, you know, elderly people in wheelchairs, people that, you know, can't walk long distances. If you can get up and walk just through the metal detector, like, sure, that's, you know, you can do it. But I'm someone who can't, so then I have to go off to the side. I have to get padded down. Not super fun, but you know, it's <laughs> it's just something. It's something you have to go through. And I pretty much you just have to keep saying, keep reminding, keep telling, and then somebody will help you out. And you know, I have a wheelchair that can collapse, sort of. It's not the most compact mm-hmm. thing, 
But when we do take it on planes, you know, we try to fit it in, in the closet that's on the plane. But then sometimes, depending on when you get there, the flight attendants will even allow you to put it in there. They're like, you know, no, it has to go under the plane. But I'm like, hey, like, this can break if something happens. Yeah. If a bag gets put on it, if it flies somewhere and, get, you know, it's something, like, it can break. And then... I can't just get up and walk and sit into a regular wheelchair because that's made specifically for my body. That's made, I can, I can get a pressure yeah. sore if I don't sit on the thing the right way. I, I was learning about, cause I guess air travel isn't covered by ADA. It's covered by like the, oh my God, air carrier access act or something like that. And it does say that if the wheelchair meets certain FAA requirements and can fit in the closet, that needs to take priority but to the point about the system being a little bit further behind, no matter how hard agents are trying, mm. if the system hasn't appropriately trained agents, then they might say, oh, no, it, it has to be stowed underneath. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be stowed. Like, the law is that it doesn't have to be stowed. But it, it sounds, yeah, just kind of tiring to be like, no, let me explain again why <laughs> this is the thing that I need for my day to day. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what I'm trying to highlight and when I post, it's just like, look, like air travel is very scary for people in wheelchairs. I mean, you are really like holding your breath. Like every time I'm, I'm like, okay, did they put it on the plane? Did they mm. do this? Did they do that? You know, the airlines, they do give you an, um, like an RFDI or R something, a chip <laughs> that, um, that has something in it and you can actually track like, oh, wow. Is, yeah. mm. So they, you know, they're, they're trying to, to do their best. And so. It's something that's just going to take time. But, you know, there's yeah. still that those people that are like, no, nah, like, why would we do that when there's, you know, you're one person on a flight that has 120 people on it, you know, so it's things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, to your point, it always helps everyone, even in ways they can't predict. Yeah. Or it, it, I feel like at best it helps everyone and at worst it's unnoticeable. So like, what, like, so who cares? <laughs> yeah. And like. A huge percentage of the adult population in the U.S. is disabled. I mean, you were mentioning, of course, people who might just not be able to walk long distances. And so certain dis- disabilities are different if you have like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or multiple sclerosis or arthritis. That's different than being like quadriplegic or having like a spinal injury. But a lot of people are disabled. And so when maybe you're an able-bodied airline CEO and you're not tapped into the disability rights community, you think, how many people is it really helping? And that's probably based in their understanding of the prevalence of visible disabilities and not the actual total number of disabilities. So um, it it helps more people than most Mm able-bodied decision makers are assuming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you travel often? Not really. I, I mean, I just travel from back home to New York and, you know, back to Florida for the holidays. Mm-hmm. I flew home for my first summer uh, last summer, which was the first time I'd been home in almost two years. And it was awesome. You know, I had a great time. And then I flew back for my first Christmas. But yeah, no, I, I, I've flown a couple times. We're not great at it yet. I also... But, uh, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry to cut you off. I also saw your video where you were saying that oh i'm a wheelchair user just moving through the airport and then it's like every little kid cheering you on and i'm also curious like did kids actually sort of come up to you and ask about it were they like staring at you or what was that like yeah so i mean i get i get looked at you know not regardless of tiktok or whatnot i just get looked at because 
I'm a wheelchair. I'm something you don't see every day. You know, mm -hmm. it's we're you know again like a small population, and so people just kind of like look up and down, and then you know you get those like older gentlemen that are like, oh, how fast does that thing go? You know, like, <laughs> and I'm like. <laughs> like uh probably faster than you know your little golf cart or whatever but like you know there's like things like that and I've had people walk by the van and you know my van has a big ramp that you know sticks out the side of the, the thing and then when I'm in my big power chair you know I look like I'm riding in a like monster truck really <laughs> and they'll be like well, I had legitimately had one kid go wow that car is sick <laughs> like where can I get one of those <laughs> well, but like what also is annoying is that parents are then like no no honey like stop like come on mm. and I'm like no like it's so important that the kid sees this and has a positive reaction so that going forward he's not scared or you know hiding mm -hmm. because when we go out in public we want to feel welcomed and you know seen and and whatnot mm. but at the same time it's like you know some people aren't as comfortable with themselves as I am so where yeah. I'm like no come up like I want you to like drive my wheelchair it'd be funny mm -hmm. <laughs> like stay you know stay back you know stay away you know, you know all that stuff and it's even okay if it's like hey like can my child ask you a question or can mm -hmm. my child look at your wheelchair whatnot you know but yeah no I've had some kids come up and be like I think it's awesome. <laughs> I, I find it I find it hilarious and cute. So that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like Audra and I have talked about that in the past. More so we've discussed it when in episodes that we've talked about anti-fat bias and mm -hmm. activists in that space, where like there are some people who are totally comfortable with being called fat because it's mm -hmm. a neutral descriptor of someone's body. And then other people, even if they are fat, see it as a sturdy word, the way that yeah. I think also society will say disability is a bad word. And mm -hmm. so they would be insulted mm -hmm. if you call them fat. And so I feel like I feel like a lot of times people's reaction is, well, let's just pretend we don't see anything. And then maybe yeah. that just makes people feel even more yeah. like invisible yeah. or ostracized of like no kid don't like if a little kid went up to someone and was like that's a fat lady and the mom is like oh my god never say that and it's like creating another moment for a the kid to be like oh I shouldn't talk to people who are fat or say this word and also for the fat person to feel like okay I guess I'm just this like separate thing that kids shouldn't even look yeah. at or whatever and it's like I think people want to be polite and yeah. then sometimes we end up just being like more discriminatory of like don't look at anyone that doesn't look exactly like you and exactly no no, no i totally i totally feel that definitely in public it happens all the time yeah ellie was saying she has some fat friends who if they went to a restaurant and she was saying we need to sit in x table instead of y table to accommodate my friend some of them would be like wow i feel so seen love that this straight-sized person is advocating for me and some people would like literally murder her on the spot literally so never talk to me again be like are you crazy yeah. <laughs> um and so it's, yeah, it's like difficult to know, like, where is your role of speaking up for people to or, or being like you're constantly having to advocate for yourself. Maybe sometimes it's nice to have a friend do it for you or, or, exactly. or you know, support you and be like, this is ridiculous. Like, why isn't this accommodating? And then there, I'm sure both people and situations where you're like, oh, my God, please don't call more attention to this. Like, can you not say something? Yeah, it happens all the time. And my friends, they wanted to go on a beer run and they were like, you know, you're the person that's 21. So we got to take you with us. They've picked me up, put me in the front seat, 
packed up my wheelchair, threw it in the trunk, you know, <laughs> driven, and then picked me back out of the car, put my wheelchair together for me, things like that. And, you know, friend, my friends are the best. I, I love them to death. And it's nice to have that. And a lot of people don't have that at the same time. Mm-hmm. And even when I meet new people, they're always like, oh, like, would that work for you? How can we adapt? Mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like it's slowly, you know, the more we get out, the more we do stuff, you know, it definitely uh, changes people's perception on wheelchairs and whatnot. Yeah. And I feel like social media has been so good for the visibility of all kinds of different disabilities, where especially because historically underemployment has been such a prevalent thing among disabled people, of course, depending on what disability you have. But I think that's created this avenue now where a lot of people like Molly Burke, who I follow and can't stop, like I won't shut up about, um, (laughs) a lot of people now are like making really amazing content and livings on social media. And I feel like there's been a lot more visibility recently. And obviously you're contributing to that. And I think I'm just so excited by that and obviously grateful to all of these content creators who are just like hey this is my life and it's like funny and hilarious and I'm dating this girl and this is my nurse and this is my dog and like I give him trails of meat and like also sometimes (laughs) my doorway isn't wide enough and like that's just what it is (laughs) yeah no it's just it's all about just visibility and and getting out there and being like hey like something's gotta give you know yeah totally yeah how was it speaking of visibility like after your injury how was the learning curve for you of learning for yourself how to adapt to a new body and figuring that out? Like, mm-hmm. were your doctors your main source of information? Were you going to social media? Like, how did you figure things out? So when I when I first got hurt, I didn't really know what happened. Like, I knew in that moment when I dove into the wave and hit the sandbar, or maybe even the wave did it to me. I don't really know, but I was just told I hit a sandbar. But anyway. I was like, wow, like I just hit my head pretty hard. And then I was like, okay, let's try to stand up. Mm-hmm. And not being able to stand, I tried to kick my legs. I tried to listen for a splashing or some kind and just nothing. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know if my arms moved or not, you know, could move. And I was like, we can't move, we're paralyzed. And like I was a lifeguard. Wow. My father was a doctor or still is, but I knew enough to be like, okay, try not to move. Like moving is not the best solution right now and where I broke my neck and where I impacted my spinal cord I my diaphragm was really compromised and so there was air just escaping my lungs and I was like okay stupid like close your mouth try to get all the water out and then just hold your breath as best as you can Mm. and so I was sitting there or you know I was face down the whole time underwater still underwater still like that's terrifying your thoughts are so lucid for someone in that situation (laughs) I would just be straight panicked but well yeah no I'm lucky one I'm lucky I didn't pass out and I'll explain that later but I was like just hold your breath and hopefully something happens and then you know I'm not a very religious person but I would say I'm sort of faithful and I was like hey god like you're taking me now do it just make it get it over with mm-hmm. uh you know just make it painless and then pretty much like a split second later i'm back at the shoreline face up and the waves are hitting me in the like coming over my face and i'm like time to breathe and then i took like two really deep breaths as, as deep as i could and i was like hey, hey, hey like somebody come get me somebody come get me and i was pulled out by like three or four guys and i remember trying to get up and i couldn't and my arms were kind of flopping around and I was like, that's not good. 
And so then I, I told the one of my friends, like, get the lifeguards. I was like, I need a neck brace, backboard, oxygen. Because I thought I, like, broke ribs. I thought, like, all this stuff happened to me. And I was like, look, if I pass out, I need you to call my parents. Like, do all this. Make my God, how are you having this whole conversation? <laughs> I just I just was. And the lifeguard training was really, like, in your body for you to be able to, like, I, yeah. I wouldn't even know what to ask for. Wow. And so the lifeguards came, you know, they're like, they put me on the, the backboard and then ultimately got the, the ambulance on the beach. They were thinking about calling the helicopter, which would have been really cool, but they <laughs> didn't. And they opted to go with the ambulance, which was Ooh. obviously fine. Yeah, no. So they, they took me to the hospital. And while I'm in the ambulance, they were the guy in the back and the driver, they were talking, they were like, what hospital are we taking him to? Are we taking him to the closer one or one that's like a little bit further, like the bigger trauma center? And they ultimately decided on the bigger trauma center. I'm in the ER, you know, like I've got my eyes closed. I'm just letting them do their thing. They're asking me a bunch of questions or cutting my bathing suit off and getting connected to tubes and whatnot. And they put me in the MRI machine and I had been in the MRI machine like a hundred times before that like I, I had like three concussions like I had hit my head all the time no like I was like a stupid kid oh my God. Was, was always in the I was always hurt there was always something wrong with me that I go through the the MRI machine and I, the guy's like all right like this can be loud here are the earplugs and I'm like no, no no give me the headset with like the radio like I just want to listen to music You're like I have demands and, and they must be met before yeah. this MRI he was like he was like whoa okay like I see you and then he was like what music do you want to listen to and I was like any any rap it's fine and he put on my he, he put on my least favorite artist, which was Lizzo, and I was like, mm, oh. "No hit against Lizzo." Just, I in in the moment, I was like, "I can't listen to this." Right now. If there's right. a moment <laughs> to be picky, <laughs> yeah, it's in the MRI machine after you break your neck. So whatever. So then they're taking me to surgery, and they actually had to walk me outside, like on the campus. So because of COVID, I was like, "Are we doing the surgery outside?" Like I legitimately thought that's what was happening, <laughs> oh my like god. in a tent. Like I, I really thought that was happening. Like I didn't. Oh know. my god! But they were like. They were like, no, we're taking you to the to the OR. Like, you know, it's a whole a separate building. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And they brought me up like too early. And the nurse that was with me, he was like, they were telling him they were like, they have you have to send him back to the ER. And the nurse that was with me was like, no, like he's 18 years old. Like he just broke his neck. Like he doesn't know what's going on. Like I'm not sending him back into the ER. They ultimately left me, and part of the surgery team came. And I was like, what really happened? And they were like, well, you know, you have a this that you have a fractured neck blah blah and so i was like wow i actually need surgery and they were like yeah but they were like good thing we actually specialize in this here exactly what i want to hear right now <laughs> exactly i was like oh Great my news. god i was like okay fine and then they're hooking me up to all these machines and whatnot and and ultimately they're screwing some stuff into my head i won't get into too much detail but ultimately they were like okay like we're gonna put you under now it's time and i was like okay just like call my parents, like, make sure they know. And they were like, yeah, yeah, like, we're getting in touch with them, blah, blah. That first week, I was on fentanyl for the pain. I was, oh wow, you know, they, my body was in, I was in so much nerve pain. Like, it's like constant burning. It's, it's horrible. It's the worst pain ever. And they had tried to reduce the swelling by pumping my body full of cold saline. So my internal temperature dropped. So I was freezing. I was oh high on fentanyl. I was, it was, it was a mess. What a and how's trip. your diaphragm at this point? Has that been taken care of in surgery or like, how are you breathing? So I was, because I was awake and everything, they didn't have to put the trach in because I, I could breathe, yeah. which is very, very lucky because 
a lot of the guys that pass out wake up later like in a coma and stuff like that mm-hmm. they all have the trach and so i'm very lucky that i, I didn't have that were yeah. you in pain prior to the surgery like right after the accident did I, you like feel pain i don't really remember mm. to be honest like it was all all a blur my body was just almost like i had like an entire pins and needles feeling like throughout mm. my entire body mm. and i was in the icu for a week i was in like the second it's like a second level to the icu it's less yeah. uh the imc i think yeah 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 and then i was uh transferred to the rehab that was connected to the hospital and it was a brand new facility and so i was like okay like this look you know this looks like a great spot and i first got in there and it was go time because they were like whatever games you make here can help you like later on in life Mm. anything can happen from a six six months to a year once the spinal shock goes away just depends on how hard you try Mm. and i was like okay like that's great like i was a very active kid athlete like I was in the best shape of my life when I got hurt Mm. and so they were like look you're young you're strong like you're gonna make gains but like you have to you have to try and I was like okay like all right like that's like the only thing I have right now so Mm -hmm. I was like I really owe a lot of my success and my physical capabilities to my OTs and PTs when I was in inpatient and outpatient rehab Mm. they're the best they really helped me out a lot and and gave me the tools to be able to function now which is i'm super thankful for them mm-hmm. and there was no real there was no real like i see that and i want to attain that because i was just i was just an 18 year old kid and i was the youngest person in the hospital or the in the rehab so i had nobody like nobody my age sort of going through the same thing until like december january when another kid came in like a little bit lower injury, so a little bit more function. Mm. And he was, I think I had, I had turned 19 and then he came in and he was 18. And then, you know, we still talk to this day. Mm. Oh, so awesome. to really answer your question, it wasn't until I got on TikTok where I started to actually make like a community yeah. and really, uh, yeah. you know, finding like a, like a source of identity because mm-hmm. I had, you know, nothing. Like I didn't know how I was supposed to function. And then, you know, I see other people doing this stuff and I'm like, oh, I want that. Yeah. Uh, every time I'm in the gym, I'm like, hey, like, I want to work on this skill. So like, there's something new that pops up every day. And I'm like, I want to go, I'm going to go for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It sounds like at first, you're just like, okay, I'm going to literally take this a single day at a time and like, not bite off more than I can chew. Like, I'm not concerned about my identity. I'm just gonna do what the OTs tell me and like, figure the rest out later. Literally, it was like, I'm gonna figure out how to hold a spoon with an adaptive device and not drop this rice on my lap. Do you still do like OT or, or physical therapy now? So I still do physical therapy. I split my time between two gyms. One gym I go to, I really focus on like just almost like strength training. Mm-hmm. Another gym I go to is more like functional training. So where I'm mm. practicing like rolling around and getting up and focusing on isolating certain muscles so that when I go to do uh, a necessary activity, like, uh, like lean all the way forward and stuff like that, or, or picking my leg up, you know, learning how to move my body instead of moving weight. And I think mm. those two are really important for people because sure, you can lift all the weight you want, but you have to be able to move your body weight yeah. in ways that will help you. Even mm. when I'm getting dressed, you know, I have to pull up my legs, which are 
very heavy. And then, you know, at the same time, I need to be able to lean one way and support myself with one arm. And I, I do both just to stay active and, and keep up with my body's demands. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, forgive my ignorance. Do you have feeling like in your, like on your skin? Like, does your leg feel that you're holding it? So... I don't have like touch feeling mm. pretty much below the waist. Okay. Like it'll be here and there when like I feel certain things, but my intact feeling like that's still preserved, that is still like the normal feeling pretty much ends right around my collarbone to like my nipple. Mm -hmm. My impaired feeling ends at my waist and impaired feeling basically feels like, like the way I explain it to people is if, you go to the beach, right? And you're sitting in your beach chair and you were to just gently rest your hand on top of the sand and then sort of just move your hand left and right. That's what that feeling feels like. So, and then there's also this thing called spasticity. So my legs with any stimulus. So like if I were to, if you were to like, you know, stroke my thigh or, you know, even pick up my foot, like my limbs will still move. Like my legs will shake and that's, like a good thing it's also a bad thing you know because it, it sort of gets in the way of things <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it really does and I can still around like the three month post injury mark I started to wiggle three toes on my left foot oh, wow. I've, I've gained like a tricep on my right arm some finger and thumb action in my in my left hand and like that's really it mm -hmm. but it's nothing like where like I could like type on a keyboard or stuff like that mm. but um with that, I learn how to use what I have to overcompensate for my losses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My question, I guess, coming out of that too is do you have any like favorite, like shiny new accessible tech? Like, I know a lot of people who obviously use Siri just because it's convenient. Um, but like, I don't know. I, I mean, my conception of accessible tech is so limited as someone who doesn't use a lot of it. But is there any like shiny new thing that you're excited about or currently using? So I wouldn't say like, there's not like a whole lot of like giant tech, but I will say that this little loop here that I have on my phone, probably like the biggest lifesaver I have. Like, I don't know if people are going to be able to like, look. At it's this, sort of I... like a pop socket, but instead it's like, yeah, a loop, almost like a keychain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that from sub website. I'll probably find it out after this, but mm -hmm. I ordered it because now it's like before I used to have to hold my phone like this mm -hmm. like just in my palm I couldn't really you know like sustain that because even though I have it here like you know it's it's hard and then if I were to like lay down I just would drop it all the time and so mm -hmm. that loop yeah. actually helps me you know hold it I have a, a hydro flask but like these loops in water bottle handles oh, are wow. great and yeah. like I just use my mouth open the, the straw and, and that mm -hmm. Like, yeah, like the dictation stuff on the iPhone, is, it's it's okay, it's not great, but it gets the job done. But then there's also this one thing called uh, universal cuff, and it's just this little strap that goes like over like this side of my hand in between my thumb and my, my index finger, so it sits like right here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in the palm, you can put a pencil or like a stylus or, or whatever, and that's mm -hmm. how I, I write and take notes. Okay. And so like those little things, like things you really wouldn't like think of, like little gadgets mm -hmm. help me out like tenfold. Tremendously, yeah. Yeah. And then like, you know, like grabbers, like to 
grab things off the top shelf. I've used wrapping paper to try and get stuff off the shelf. Like a roll, like a roll, like the stick uh -huh. held it in my hands, like a, like a sword. And that doesn't work. But. <laughs> I hear, I hear so often people talk about disability breeding innovation. And I think this is a great example. <laughs> you and your wrapper paper sword. <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah. Like I'll be messing around like on the weekend and I'll be like, how do I get the chips off the top shelf? Like when I don't have a, a tool. So. Yeah. No, that's interesting too, though, because I mean, my mind was immediately going to complex software in terms of accessible tech. But it, as you're saying, these little gadgets that are actually really simple and just like minimalist, beautiful design that alone can go miles. Oh, yeah, no, it's super, super huge help. They've helped me out tremendously. So, uh, you know, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. This was such an amazing chat. I learned a lot personally of things that I never would have thought of and mm -hmm. had no idea about. And honestly, it just sparks like more things that I want to research. And I'm very, very grateful for you sharing so much of your personal story and your time with us and would love it for you to plug your TikTok or anything else that you want to share where people can find you and see your hilarious stuff. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, my TikTok is hot dog cart with two T's at the end. Uh, and then my Instagram is just my name, Ernest Patty. Come hang out. Um, I like to think that I'm fun and, uh, <laughs> you know, you can, probably learn a lot if not you'll probably lose a couple of brain cells but yeah <laughs> we're all losing brain cells on tiktok regardless <laughs> yeah that is true that is true all right well thank you again thank you so much yes thank you guys culture calendar is produced by elisa nolasco and audra fitzgerald show art by angela cho and music by santiago hervella Research for each episode is conducted independently and is for entertainment purposes only. Information shared in the show reflects the best we know at this moment in time, and there is always more to learn. Music.